Over these weeks during Lent, we've been going through a sermon series together, finding our joy, holding on to our joy. How is it we do that? And, and there's some, some reminders here from us in Hebrews about how we can do that because we live in a world that's scrambling for happiness. And they're looking to things and to people to try to, to, to fill their lives and to fill their hearts. And it just does not produce. If you do the math in Scripture, I think you find the word happy 24 times, happiness nine times. But if you look for the word joy, you find it over 200 times. The word joyful over 75 times. The math is trying to tell us something and to tell this world. And maybe we're tempted to scramble. Maybe we're tempted to, to grasp. It just won't fill and it just won't work. My, my uh, not for authentic joy. My wife, uh, when we were on a mission trip in Brazil, picked up a Marc Jacobs purse. Many of you may remember those purses. And so we were there at a street fair. And so she picked one up and got it for really cheap. So it was pretty nice to be able to get Marc Jacobs for that cheap. Marc Jacobs. The plate on the side of the purse said, Wark Fakeobs. <laughs> and it was a fake. <laughs> That's why it was five bucks. Um, looked like the real thing. Looked at like it was something to grasp. It's not the real thing. It's not about happiness, but what the joy wants you to have. As Nehemiah would say, it's the joy of the Lord that's my refuge and my strength. How is it that you and I hold on to our joy. So we look to Christ. We remember his cross as we prepare our hearts to receive this holy meal. What do we see in his life? As we went back to John's gospel last week, we're reminded of that as well here too about his life. The author of Hebrews is also reminding us of Jesus's heart, that, that joy comes. It's often a byproduct of obedience that it comes. We saw it last week in Jesus's constant attention to the work and the will of the Father. And you see that here throughout the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 5.18. It speaks of Christ as an obedient servant. Chapter 10, 7 and 9, it talks of Jesus doing God's will. We do that work, then the joy of the Lord can come. And here he is facing a cross we, knew, we know well, back in Hebrews and I were reminded, there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. We're reminded in, in, in the next chapter, Hebrews 13, 12, that he will be placed outside the gate. I don't even know if we'll fully understand all of that. For it's shame, for that shame that Hebrews talks about. To be outside the gate, outside his holy city, where those who are, who, you can't have anything unclean happen in his city. To be tortured by pagans, exposed in front of family and friends, to carry sin, the one who knew no sin, to bear that for us in full obedience and counted it, as this word says to us today, counted it as joy. No wonder the author of Hebrews says in the next chapter, oh, there ought to be a sacrifice of praise among the people of God for the gift that was given to us by our priest, the very Son of God. Is there joy as you and I live lives of obedience? May not always be happiness, but the joy of the Lord will come. I, I very rarely do this, but I'm doing it today. I want to read to you a few words from a communion meditation that I came across called Stubborn Joy. 
No man had more reason to be miserable than this one. Yet no man was more joyful. His first home was a palace. Servants were at his fingertips. The snap of his fingers changed the course of history. His name was known and loved. He had everything, wealth, power, respect, and then he had nothing. Students of the event still ponder it. Historians, as they attempt to explain it, how could a king lose everything in one instant? One moment he was royalty, the next he was in poverty. His bed became at best a borrowed pallet and usually the hard earth. He never owned even the most basic mode of transportation, was dependent on handouts for his income. He was sometimes so hungry he would eat raw grain or pick fruit off a tree. He knew what it was like to be rained on, to be cold. He knew what it meant to have no home. His palace grounds had been spotless, and now he was exposed to filth. He had never known disease, but now he was surrounded by illness. In his kingdom, he had been revered. Now he was ridiculed. His neighbors tried to lynch him. Some called him a lunatic. His family tried to confine him to their house. Those who didn't ridicule him tried to use him. They wanted favors. They wanted tricks. He was a novelty. They wanted to be seen with him. That is, until being with him was out of fashion, then they wanted to kill him. He was accused of a crime he never committed. Witnesses were hired to lie. The jury was rigged. No lawyer was assigned to his defense. A judge swayed by politics handed down the death penalty, and they killed him. He left as he came, penniless. He was buried in a borrowed grave, his funeral financed by compassionate friends, though once he had everything, he died with nothing. He should have been miserable. He should have been bitter. He should have had every right to be a pot of boiling anger, but he wasn't. He was joyful. He was joyful when he was poor. He was joyful when he was abandoned. He was joyful when he was betrayed. He was even joyful as he hung on a tool of torture. Jesus embodied a stubborn joy, a joy that refused to bend in the wind of hard times, a joy that held its ground against pain. It's a good word for us. As we look to Christ who saw his cross and yet there was joy, to watch his life just so filled with takers and accusers and trouble, and yet we're reminded over and over again of his joy. Go back to the chapter before. The author of Hebrews is right. Look back to those people of faith. Let those witnesses encourage you, but watch their lives. Were their lives full of happiness and happenings? No. But they held on to their faith, and the joy of the Lord was their strength. And as we look to Christ, the one who is the founder and perfecter of our faith, we can be encouraged, and he will be enough. We see his obedience to go to the cross for us, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. But Hebrews remind us, not only was he pursuing what God had set before him, the plan for our salvation, but we're reminded again this other rich uh, uh, truth about why he went to the cross, and that was for you and for me. That he would be, 
as Hebrews uses this word more than any other uh, New Testament book, he would be our mediator, that he would be our intercessor, as he would be, again, as Hebrews talks not only about the supremacy of his priesthood, but again, that he's standing in the gap for us, that he would be our priest. Hebrews 2.10, for it was fitting for him, for who, for whom all things are, and through whom are all things to suffer, to bring many sons to glory. The joy set before him, a part of that joy is us. We said in our first time together that God is a counter. Well, Jesus counted. You read through Hebrews and you can't miss over and over again the cost of what the cross would mean and how high a price would have to be paid due to our sin for our salvation. No other book in the New Testament mentions the word sacrifice more than the book of Hebrews. And yet he counted it all joy so that we could be with him, that we could be his, that there would be a day when we would go to glory, but even now that we be changed from glory to glory, he counted it joy for his people. And so as we come to this meal, may we keep our eyes on him. The author of Hebrews says, yes, there's, and right, listen, I have no idea where you are today. Whatever suffering's going on, whatever trouble's going on, whatever anxiety's going on, maybe at home or at work, uh, whatever that might be, the author of Hebrews says, keep your eyes on Jesus. It is so easy in this world with real pain and real struggle as well as real distractions pulling us and tempting us. Keep your eyes. Look to him, the perfecter and founder of your faith. Look to him. And that's what we want to do this morning as we come to, to this altar rail and to this communion table, to look to him. It's a story out of World War I of a British commander taking his troop back to the battlefield. They had been on furlough for a few days, and the day that they had to go back, it was cold, it was raining, and it was muddy, but it wasn't just the mud. They knew what they were walking into, blood and death. It was a dreary day, a dreary day where there were no songs as they went. There was no talking as they went. Their heads were down as were their spirits. And as they walked closer to the battlefield, they happened to walk by a bombed out church. The whole front of the church completely destroyed and blown open. The commander leading the troop looked into that church and he saw a crucifix. Now, we as Protestants don't have Christ on the cross as we celebrate not only his death, but as Hebrews said, he died once for all, so he's no longer on the cross suffering for us. And so we celebrate the cross, but it's a barren cross because we also celebrate the resurrection, that his work was completed. But what an image for that commander that day. The one who knew no sin entered into suffering and suffered for us. How do you walk into a war zone? How do you walk into a war zone? As his troops followed behind him, he just gave one simple command. Eyes right march. 
and every soldier turned right. And as they marched, they saw the suffering Christ. Keep our eyes on Christ. Hebrews reminds us there are many entanglements, many things that might cause us to sin. Going back to chapter 11 and those great heroes of faith, there are so many things and so many heartaches and so much persecution and struggle that might take our attention and our focus. Look to Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith. How do you need to do that today? Maybe today it's for the first time and you need to say yes to Jesus, to the one who died once for all, for you, to bring you to glory and to say, I've never brought my sins to him. And said, would you clean my heart? Would you forgive my sins? Would you be Lord of my life? I'd love to pray with you. Steve, Corey, all of our staff would love to pray with you if you'd like to come this morning for that. Maybe it is a recommitment to a life of, of living the will and the work of God. And it is a struggle. And it can be hard at times. But again, the byproduct of obedience so often is joy. That's when the joy of the Lord comes. We're in the center of his will. When we're about the work and the words of the Father. Or maybe today you just need to spend some time after communion at this altar rail. And just give a sacrifice of praise. An offering of thanksgiving to the Lord for what he has done for you. And to say to him again, my eyes have been taken off of you. Put my In this heartbreak I'm going through, in the struggle I'm going through, or this temptation I'm going through, Lord, I'm going to put my eyes on you.